Hey you, welcome to Taylor Shapers of Influence podcast, where we discuss the people, places, and things that will influence us. We'll dissect the integrated worlds of marketing, pop culture, and everything in between, from fashion to sports to entertainment. We're not only creating conversations, we're leading them too. Join us. Hello, and welcome to Shapers of Influence podcast. I'm Adamus Ruprecht. We are joined today by baseball fanatic and Taylor COO and managing partner, Brian Harris. Thanks for joining with me today, Brian. Thank you, Anna Rose. Really, really excited to talk baseball, my favorite sport, America's pastime, and uh, thrilled to hear you're a baseball fan too. So. Let's get into the conversation. Brian, I have always been a huge sports fan, and I really enjoy baseball. I played softball as a little girl, and I loved it. My favorite team is the Phillies, and I was totally excited when they won the World Series back in 2008. I was just 12 years old. I still have some of the shirts and stuff from that great time. I got to meet the Phillies fanatic and some of the players over the years. And I have been to a lot of games. I always liked Ryan Howard, but my fi- my favorite Philly is was War Holiday. Brian, what do you like about baseball? Well, that's going to be a multi-part answer because there's so many things I love about baseball. One of them is just talking to other baseball fans about baseball, fans like yourself. You're a Phillies fan. I'm a Mets fan. The Mets and Phillies have a long history together because they've always been in the same division. I've been to a lot of ball games in my life. I've probably seen the Phillies more than any other team play the Mets. I was actually in school in Philadelphia in 1980 when the Phillies won their first world championship. And boy, that was that was really, really exciting. It was more exciting to the Phillies fans than it was for me. It was kind of difficult being a New Yorker in Philadelphia. But I knew how those Philly fans, they waited a long time for that World Series. And uh, I'm glad you got a chance to experience uh, World Series 29 years later with that great team with Ryan Howard and Chase Utley and Roy Halladay and Cole Hamels and, and Cliff Lee. What a great pitching staff they had. I love talking baseball with other fans. That's one thing. I love history. I love the history of the game. I don't think there's any sport that has such a, such a rich story, colorful history as baseball. And I read a lot of books about baseball history. I just started reading a book about Babe Ruth by Jane Levy. She wrote a great book about Mickey Mantle that I read and a great book about Sandy Koufax, two other of my baseball heroes. So I love baseball history. I love baseball stats. I like talking numbers. I'm not so much into sort of the modern day stats, which kind of have almost taken over the game and are are just used almost incessantly by teams to manage the game. I understand why, but I, I'm more of an old school numbers guy. I, I used to pick up the baseball encyclopedia and just read it page for page, looking at players' stats, like how many home runs this guy hit or how many runs he drove in. 
five years in a row. I mean, I just love sort of old school baseball stats, if you will. I think there's nothing I love more, though, than just spending an afternoon or a nice summer evening at the ballpark, just watching a game with friends. Baseball is it's the best game in the world to watch and talk about at the same time. It's hard to do that with like football and basketball, hockey. The games are going so fast. You can't take your eyes off the ball or the puck. But with baseball, you can just sit back and relax, watch the game, and just talk about your team, talk trivia, argue about who's a better pitcher or who's a better shortstop, or just talk about anything in between. So just, and I love that. And I miss that. It was one of the, one of the things I missed last year, not going to a baseball game. It was the first time in more than 50 years that I didn't go to a ball game. Since the last time I didn't go to a ball game, I was seven years old. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm planning on going back to a ball game, to a Mets game sometime this summer. I really look forward to that. There's, there's nothing like being at the ballpark. Being a member of Gen Z, I don't have many peers who are interested in Major League Baseball. Only 21% of Gen Z identify as baseball fans. How can Major League Baseball build a stronger fan base with young fans? Well, that's a great question. And I think it's probably the most, really the most important question I think Major League Baseball has to answer in, in the next decade or so, because your young fans are, that's the future of the game. That's the future of the core of your fan base. And unlike when I was growing up, Young fans today, young consumers, they have so many different options other than sitting in front of a television for three to four hours to watching a baseball game. And there are other sports that have really engaged with young fans for a variety of reasons, ranging from the way they market to the fans to just the, the quality of the product and the type of product that appeals to young fans. And I'm talking about things like esports and, and mixed martial arts the NBA, women's sports like women's soccer. I don't think there's one easy answer to that, but certainly Major League Baseball has to figure out how to engage better with fans through social media, through digital content. I think they've really lagged behind other sports like the ones I mentioned, like the NBA, like soccer, even like even NASCAR. I think MLB has to do a lot better. And when I say MLB, I also mean their teams, the teams and the way they work with the players and encouraging and guiding the players to be more active on social media. But MLB really has to uh, figure out how to better deliver content to the young fans in a way that they're consuming it. I think they're making progress, but they're going to have to make a lot of, lot more progress so that 21% of Gen Z is double and triple in the next decade. Otherwise, that younger fan base, which is the future of the game, the future of your fan base, is going to continue to erode. Another thing is just the game itself. Baseball, it's a long commitment. It's an entire evening or an entire afternoon. And uh, even guys like me who have been a fan for more than half a century can get kind of uh, anxious and antsy trying to sit through a game, especially when watching on TV. I know baseball has done a number of things to speed up the game, uh, to make it a little more lively. And I think that's a good thing. I think overall, baseball and, and, and the teams have done a great job building or renovating or 
revitalizing their stadiums to provide for a, a more engaging, more fun and dynamic experience in the ballpark, which is uh, really, really important to keep uh, fans engaged. So just getting fans to come out to the ballpark more often is really important. So those are some really big challenges. I think they've, they're making a step, they've taken some steps in the right direction in terms of just making the, you know, watching the game more exciting, engaging with the players on a more consistent basis in a more creative way. But there's no one thing. They've, they've got to do all of that because building that younger fan base, like I said, over the next decade or more is, is critical to the future of the game. Last year, for the first time since 9-11, Major League Baseball games were postponed indefinitely due to to COVID-19 pandemic with many delays in the schedule due to COVID restrictions. The season was able to resume on July 23rd, 2020. This year, the LB season is looking quite different from previous ones. This is the last season for the equivalent team called will be called the Indians. The All-Star Game has been moved to Coors Field in Denver, Colorado, instead to Trissett Park in Atlanta because of voting laws in Georgia. And games are being held out in defense. Brian what do you think about the changes in the league this year? Well, I think they're all good. I think one of them we kind of saw coming the last few years, and that was the pending change of the Cleveland Indians name. I think it's long overdue, just like the Washington football teams, formerly Washington Redskins, that name change, which is, I guess, still in transition, was long overdue. Same with the Indians. Look, it's something a lot of people, most people didn't think a lot about way back when. But I think you, you, today, I mean, I think we have to, we really have to align the, the sports, the professional sports teams, they, the leagues really have to align their values with the values of their fans. I mean, I know there are a lot of people who, who might look at the name changes for these teams and think, oh, why mess with tradition? But, you know, the world is changing. And I think we have to be much more in line with what our values are today and be more respectful of all cultures. And the Cleveland Indians just is not an appropriate name anymore. I'm not sure it ever was. So I kind of like before the Indians way back when they were the Cleveland Spiders. I kind of like that name. So maybe maybe they'll go back to the Cleveland Spiders. It would definitely make for a very cool mascot, I think. As far as what happened in Atlanta and moving the, uh, the All-Star game, that was that was unexpected, but precipitated by what unfortunately has been going on in Georgia and enacting legislation to frankly discriminate against people with respect to voting laws. And what Major League Baseball is doing, I, I applaud because what they are saying is that the, the values of Major League Baseball do not align with what is happening in Georgia. And in that respect, we're going to move one of our, our you know, crown jewel events to another state where we feel our values 
align more closely. A lot of people are going to say, well, you're getting political and you shouldn't get political. And I don't know that it's political. I think it's just a matter of putting your values first. And I really applaud Commissioner Manfred and Major League Baseball for doing that. And I think it sends a message to other states and municipalities that if you want to do business with Major League Baseball on this level and host an all-star game, your values has to have to align. And I think that's going to send a message also. I mean, other leagues and teams, the NBA has done that and the NFL has done it to some extent. And I think they should continue to do it because it can put pressure on, on state governments and on local businesses to frankly just do the right thing, not just for baseball fans, but for our country. Do you anticipate the league having many more changes? Oh, I think, yeah, I certainly think you might see, you're going to continue, I think, to see some changes to the way the game is played, as I referenced earlier, to make the game more appealing to to a younger audience. We've started to see some things, even this year, with regard to seven-inning doubleheaders, which I I actually kind of like. I mean, I'm a traditionalist, and I'm one of those people who kind of been resistant to change. I mean, I I was, I wasn't a fan for many, many years for the designated hitter role with the American League instituted in 1973. But I go, I got over that after a couple of decades. And when they, when they used it last year during the, the shortened season in the National League, I kind of liked it. I felt like, what if, if we're going to have a designated hitter role, both leagues should have it. Now they were considering rolling it out into the National League this year, but refrained from doing that. But Frankly, I, I hope they do it moving forward because I think it's time that both leagues kind of align there. I do like the seven-inning doubleheaders. As a Mets fan, it gives it gives my usually leaky bullpen less less uh, time to, to blow a lead, so I kind of like that. But I think it just makes the game and, and the day go a lot easier. You know, sitting through two games is difficult for anybody of any age. So seven-inning doubleheaders certainly shave off at least an hour or, or so. Of, of watching. And even I, a traditionalist, I'm okay with that. I'm not crazy about the rule though, when you go into extra innings where you start the game with a runner on second base, to me, that's, I don't know, that's cheating. I just, I'm, I'm not crazy about that. Yeah, it does. It does change the, the strategy a bit, which is interesting because if you start with a runner on second base, then guys coming up to the plate, what are they going to try and do? They're going to try and get that runner home. They're not necessarily going to be swinging for the fences and end the game with a home run. You might see uh, players actually bunting more, which is a lost art, or trying to steal bases. But I, I think you'll continue to see some things from baseball with respect to with respect to rule changes to, to kind of speed up the game. But in a much bigger picture, with respect to aligning baseball with, with the values of our country, if you will, like we've seen with the move of the All-Star Game and the, the pending renaming of the Indians. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I hope to see more things like that where the game truly represents our values. Has Major League Baseball made changes like this in the past? Well, with respect to, with respect to rule changes, yeah, I mentioned earlier about the, you know, and, and they do this for competitive advantage, I suppose, but some of it is for entertainment value. I think the institution of the designated hitter back in the 1970s certainly changed a lot about the way American League teams strategize during a game when a pitcher doesn't have to hit, for example. 
but it added some entertainment value because you added an extra an extra bat to the lineup, so to speak. So I got that, and it stuck. I think a lot of people thought that it wouldn't last as long as it has, and it's here to stay. Another thing that uh, that's always fascinated me is is in nineteen six after the nineteen sixty eight season, which has been known as the year of the pitcher because pitchers so heavily dominated baseball that year. You had all these great pitchers back then. Bob Gibson and Tom Seaver and, and Juan Marichal and Don Drysdale and, and Steve Carlton, who was pitching for the Cardinals then later, had some great years for the, your Phillies. Pitchers really, really dominated it. So what did they do? The next year, they lowered the pitcher's mound, okay? Because when a pitcher has more height, they can generate more power, throwing the ball down to the hitter. So they actually lowered the pitcher's mound, starting with the 1969 season, which was pretty cool. There have been some other changes. I mean, teams all the time will will move the fences in or out in their ballpark, depending on whether they want to favor the pitchers or the hitters. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of gamesmanship that goes on with the rules of the game to favor the home team or just make the game move along more quickly or favor the pitchers or the hitters. So we've seen a lot of that, and I'm sure we'll we'll definitely see more of that. What do you envision fan participation to be like in the upcoming years? Well. I did touch on, on on one thing with respect to the younger fans, the Gen Z. It's really imperative that baseball get fans more engaged and in, in participating more, whether they're watching games on television or on their iPhone or their laptop or just staying closer to the game through social media or various platform, digital content platforms, let alone actually going out to the ballpark. So it's baseball goes through kind of kind of some ups and downs. I think it's going to be a continued challenge to get eyeballs, you know, to watch the game on television because ratings have just been eroding for years and years and years. And you look at the World Series and and the ratings, even though still better than most primetime viewing, are considerably lower than they were decades ago. The World Series as, as this one event that just captured everybody's attention in the country isn't quite the same as it once was. And I don't know what's going to change that in terms of getting people to actually watch. But getting people out to the ballparks, I think baseball and the teams have done a, a really good job of that in recent decades, building new ballparks, uh, revitalizing and renovating their ballparks to make it more of a full day entertainment, family entertainment experience, not just a place to sit down and eat a hot dog and watch a game, which which I think is great, but there's, there's a lot more you can do at a ballpark these days. So I think, I think the ballpark experience will continue to evolve to become more and more engaging for fans. I think, I think Major League Baseball will figure out more and more ways to reach younger audiences. One of the things, one of the things they've done is through broadcasting their games on YouTube and, and other, and other platforms and whatnot. So, and one, one thing I'd really like to see is just more and more of the games top players, especially the, the top young stars, whether it's a Fernando Tatis Jr. or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Cody Bellinger or Jose Abreu, all these great young stars just being more and more active on social media, getting close to the fans, whether it's through public uh, appearances or through, through digital content. The game needs to encourage more and more of that. The profiles of the players, I think, have to really have to rise. When I was growing up, I mean, the top players in the game, Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays and 
Bob Gibson and, and Pete Rose and players like that, they had huge profiles. They were household names. They walked down the street. Everybody knew who they were. Reggie Jackson, people like that. Cash, Catfish Hunter. It's not, it's, it hasn't been the case with baseball. The players don't have the kind of profiles that players in other sports do. Mike Trout. Mike Trout's been a guy who grew up near Philadelphia, plays for the the Angels. He's been the best player in the game in the last decade. When all said and done, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, regarded as one of the greatest all-around players ever. But again, if he walked down the street in midtown Manhattan or his hometown of Philadelphia, a lot of people wouldn't recognize him. And that's kind of where we are. And I think we're starting to see some young players build their profiles. But I think the game needs that. They need those, those household names, those players that, that transcend baseball. Like a Derek Jeter did before he retired, or David Ortiz of the Red Sox. We don't have too many players like that anymore. And the game, the game needs those players who can be the, the face of baseball. And that's going to be very important fan engagement over the next several years. Thank you, Brian, for joining me today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I hope you enjoyed the return of Major League Baseball. Well, thank you, Anna Rose. It's been a great discussion. I've really had a lot of fun. I would love to do that again maybe in, in a few months. And anyway, good luck to your Phillies. I, they're off to kind of a tough start, but I think the whole National League East is it's going to be a great year, a great race, and good luck. But most of all, most of all, just have fun and enjoy the season. Well, that wraps up this episode of Taylor's Shapers of Influence. To learn more about what we do at Taylor, you can find us at taylorstrategy.com. Looking for more episodes of the podcast? Find us wherever you stream stuff. We're on iTunes and other major streaming platforms. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Taylor Strategy. Thanks for stopping by and tuning in. Peace.